All right, good morning, church. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 17. This morning we will be talking about the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays for unity of the cross. And before we read our scripture together, um, I do want to just get us on the same page and set up the context of which Jesus is saying this prayer. Um, as we're talking about unity, I uh, want you to know I grew up a only child. And so growing up as an only child, having no siblings has both its advantages and its disadvantages. And one of the disadvantages uh, is that you don't have brothers and sisters. And so watching my girls grow up with, uh, with their close-knit relationship as sisters um, has been awesome. And so you don't have that as an only child. But for me, thankfully, I was blessed to grow up with two cousins who lived next door to me. So my older cousin, just a little bit older than me, is Ben. And then my younger cousin, just a little but younger than me is Nikki. And so I grew up with Ben and Nikki um, being at my house or me at their house or us together at our grandmother's house all the time. And so Ben and Nikki became to me like brothers and sisters. And so we argued and we fought just like brothers and sisters argue and fight. And we loved one another and played together just like brothers and sisters love one another and play together. And so that reminds me a lot of what the church looks like. Because when we think about unity in the church, we're not blood related, but we are related because of the blood of Jesus, because we are redeemed and united together by his blood. And so when we talk about the church, we we think about having fellowship together. We think about having unity together. In fact, John Wesley said this. He said, I want the whole Christ for my savior, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. So from Wesley's quote today, we'll be talking about the aspect of the whole church for my fellowship. And so I love the church. I was called into ministry um, as a, at a young age. My mom was and is a church secretary. And so I was always just kind of around the church. And I love the church. But you may have experienced this. I have experienced as the years have gone by. And you may know some people who have experienced that the church isn't always a pretty thing, right? Like sometimes there's things that we see in the church that are, are hurtful to us. We see people do things um, that we think, I wouldn't have done that, or I wouldn't have done it that way, or he or she shouldn't have said that. And so uh, we, we a lot of times are hurt by the church, and we meet people who are cynical of the church. And so I want to just tell you a couple things about the church and about unity before we read our passage together. Uh, we're not perfect, but we are his and we are redeemed by him and made perfect by him through the process of salvation and sanctification. Jerry Vines, who was the pastor at First Baptist Jacksonville for years and years, said this. He said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. And Steve Brown said this. He said, I love the church. No, I mean, I really love the church. And then he said, and I don't have the faintest idea why. Maybe it's because she is his bride. She's an ugly bride, but she is, after all, his bride. And I can't help it. I love the church. 
And so this morning, if you're here and you've maybe become cynical or you've seen some things that in the church, in the name of the church, that haven't been great, I want us to try to lay those things aside this morning and focus on Jesus and his prayer for unity here in the high priestly prayer. Because as Jesus comes before our Heavenly Father in the high priestly prayer, he's headed for the cross. In fact, if you have headings in your Bible that tell you what each passage is about, here in John chapter 17, it says the high priestly prayer. And then if you flip over to John 18, it says betrayal and arrest of Jesus. And so the context is that Jesus comes before the Father right before he is to be betrayed, he is to be arrested, he is to be ridiculed and marked, he is to be put on trial and beaten and hung on a cross, and he would die for our sins. And so Jesus knew this as he's praying to the Heavenly Father. And I think that when Jesus knows what's coming down, if he's going to pray this prayer, he's going to pray a prayer about something that is on his heart, something that he's passionate about, something that that he knows is urgent. And and so there's a sense of urgency when we think about unity in the church. And so I want us to read the whole prayer, and it's it's a long prayer, but I want us to read all 25 verses, and then we'll kind of break it down and talk about several different sections. So here in John chapter 17, It says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. 
your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. May God add his blessing and favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have seen fit to redeem us and to make us family, to make us united as one. As Jesus prayed here in the high priestly prayer, we thank you that you have redeemed us by his blood. And Father, we thank you that even though the church isn't always perfect and and, and we are made up of a people of imperfections, we are redeemed by the perfect one. And Father, I Thank you for, by your sovereign hand, establishing this local expression of your church here in Loganville, Georgia. And I pray for Redeeming Grace Community Church. I pray that as we work together for the work of the ministry, as we work together to glorify you in all that we do, that you would continue to unite us together and have us focused on you and your glory and what you want to accomplish. I pray that we would love one another as Jesus prays in this prayer in order that the world may know you. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word and that we would see Jesus clearly. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a few things about this prayer. The first part of this prayer, in the first five verses, Jesus prays for the Father to glorify him. Jesus prays for the Father to glorify him. And so when we begin this passage, we begin with Jesus praying and lifting his eyes toward heaven. And he's praying to the Father. And so this shows us that there's a clear distinction between the Father and the Son. There is the aspect here of a triune God. And then he also prays to the Father that the Father would glorify the Son. And so if Jesus is praying to the Father in order that he would glorify the Son, then he's praying for a, uh, for him to be glorified, which is a claim to deity. Jesus is, by even praying this, claiming that he is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh, God incarnate. And so we know this because prophets like Isaiah, and I won't ask you to turn there, but I'm going to give you a couple of references if you want to write them down. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, and then again in Isaiah 48, verse 11, we see that God will not share his glory 
glory with another. Glory is for God only. And in fact, the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the gospel is all about a story of glory. And it's not about a story of glory for us or for the people of God, but it's about his glory and no one shares his glory. In fact, God says that he is a jealous God. And so he will not share his glory with another because no one but him is perfect and righteous and holy and complete and deserves that glory. And then in verse 3, we see that Jesus prays that his disciples would have eternal life. And we know that this, is, this eternal life comes through Jesus. If you want to turn over just a couple verses in your text to John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so there's no other plan. You can't call an audible here. There's one way to have eternal life, and it's through Jesus. And the great thing about this way is that Jesus has made the way, and he prepares the way right after what we read in John chapter 17 as he lays down his life as the sacrifice in order for us to be reconciled with God. And then in verse 5, he prays that he would have the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. And so I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, just over to the right in your Bibles. And so if you're looking for that, I always tell people uh, to remember uh, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So get to the C for Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at verse 15. This passage talks about the preeminence of Christ, the glory that he had established before the very foundation of the world. And so starting in verse 15 of chapter 1, of Colossians, it reads this. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross." And so in this passage, we see even before the foundation of the world, Jesus is there. In John's gospel, where we're reading in John chapter 17, John begins his gospel by talking about Jesus and calling him the word. And he says, in the beginning was the word. So Jesus is, again, establishing his deity, that he is God incarnate, God in the flesh. So Jesus prays to the heavenly father in these first five verses, and then he shifts to praying for his disciples in verses 6 through 19. Jesus prays for those whom the Father had given him. He prays for those who he had done ministry with, he had shared life with over the past three years. And so as Jesus is praying this prayer, I, I just imagine what must be going through his mind. He knows the cross is coming. He knows betrayal is coming. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be killed 
for your sin and for my sin. And he's going to take all of our iniquity and all of our shame upon his shoulders. And then he's also praying for these disciples who have had these close relationships with and done ministry with over the past three years. And I just imagine that maybe he's thinking back about some of these times that he experienced with these disciples. Maybe he starts thinking about when he first called Simon Peter to follow him in Luke chapter 5 verse 1 through 11 and when he tells Peter from now on you'll be fishers of men or maybe he starts thinking about the time that he's on the boat and the storm is coming but Jesus is sleeping and this is recorded in Luke chapter 18 22 through 25 Jesus is asleep on the bottom of the boat and they wake up Jesus because the storm is rocking the boat and Jesus looks out at the sea and he says peace be still and everybody looks on him with awe and amazement and they say who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him and so maybe Jesus starts thinking about that as he's praying through the disciples or maybe he thinks about when his disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 6 and they say Lord teach us to pray and he teaches them the Lord's prayer or maybe he starts thinking about when his disciples are gathered around and there's 5,000 men that are present plus the women and children and in Mark chapter 8 his disciples look at him and they say Jesus how can we feed all of these people here with bread and in such a desolate place. And so Jesus takes a few small fish and he takes a few loaves of bread and he multiplies it and he feeds the multitude. And so maybe all of these things are running through Jesus' mind. And maybe he's thinking, Lord, don't let them give up. Don't let them forget those things. And so he's asking the Father to hold them tightly in his hand. And so one thing that we know about this as he's praying for them is that Jesus' prayer is sincere and it's passionate as he's praying for his disciples. And so here's a few things that he prays specifically for them. In chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus prays that the Father keep them in his name. That the Father keep them in his name. And so Jesus is praying that those who have been specifically given to him would be kept to the end. This means that they would persevere without denying him, without turning away. And since Jesus is the one who's praying the prayer, Jesus is the one who is interceding, then we know that his, uh, he's praying for his disciples and that his prayer will most certainly be granted. His prayer will most certainly be answered. And so Jesus is praying that the Father would hold them securely and keep them in his name. And then Jesus also prays in verse 11 that they would be perfectly one as the Father and the Son are one. And this is just an awesome picture of unity here. He prays that, there, that this would happen, and this is something that has to be supernatural and profound in order for it to happen. For this unity is accomplished by the Father through the work of the Son, and it's pro- appropriated by the work of the Spirit. And so then Jesus also prays that they would have joy in verse 13 of chapter 17. That they would have joy in him. I think this is so important to the Christian life that we would find our joy 
in him because there's so many other things that, that try to gain our attention or promise some sort of joy or happiness, but it's all a temporal sort of happiness. But when we have our joy in Christ, it's an eternal kind of joy. And so as we serve and as we love one another, it's, it's out of joy. It's not out of a duty, but rather it's out of a delight. And so I, I want you to think a little bit about this as we think about loving one another. It's the church. Think about it as in a relationship. So this summer, I'm coming up on my 11th wedding anniversary. And so just imagine for me for a minute that in a couple months, it's my 11th wedding anniversary, and I do something really nice. Like I spring for a really nice dinner. I get Chris and Stephanie to watch my kids, and we go out to a nice dinner. Um, I buy some sort of jewelry. I bring home some red roses. And so my wife says, oh, this is all so nice that you set all this up and we're having such a wonderful uh, evening for our anniversary. Um, Why did you do this? And what if I looked at her and I said, well, I had to because it's our anniversary. I knew you'd get upset if I didn't do something. And so I just know that it's 11 years and, you know, we should should do something. And um, that wouldn't really say a lot about her, right, and what I think about her. But if she looks at me, she says, oh, this is so great. Why did you take the time to go through all the effort to do this? Um, and wh- if I looked at her and I said, because uh, after 11 years, I love you more today than I did when we got married. And I just expressed how much I love her. That says more about her, right? Because it's, it's a joy. It's not like I'm having to kind of just dutifully do it. It's that I enjoy doing those things for her. And so as we serve each each other in the church and as we love one another in the church it's not like oh man I have to love Chris because you know he's at the he's the pastor and you know I gotta love him it's no I I get to 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 love him I get to serve him I get we get to serve together we get to do ministry because Jesus has redeemed us and he's united us and we're brothers and we have a great fellowship together and I enjoy being with him and I enjoy serving with him and that's how it should be for each and every one of us we should enjoy serving and loving one another and caring for one another and and doing whatever we can for one another because there's this genuineness. And I think this authenticity is missing in a lot of churches. I think that that's part of the problem. And I think that's one of the great things that we have here in this local expression of God's church is that I think as a church family, we genuinely love and care for one another. And so I think my encouragement through this prayer of Jesus is to not lose that, but to continue to build on that. And then Jesus also prays that they would not be taken out of the world, but that they would be kept from the evil one. That they would not be taken out of the world, but they would be kept from the evil one. And so uh, this is the idea that we've talked about before of living with a purpose or living on mission with the sharing the gospel and serving others for the purpose of pointing them to Jesus. This is going counter to the culture. And so I think what Jesus is praying here by us not being out of the world, but that we would be in the world and be protected from the evil one is that we would be influencers of the world without being influenced by the world. And so I know that we have a, a lot of people in our church family that are graduating here in just a few weeks. And so 
as you guys graduate and you move on to, to different things and the Lord places you in new relationships and new opportunities, I think this would be one of the biggest encouragements that I would give you guys who are seniors and you're moving on to the next step is, man, be an influencer of the world for the gospel without being influenced by the world. And I would pray this same thing for you, that Jesus is praying for the church, that you wouldn't be taken out of the world, but that you would be protected from the evil one and that you would serve Jesus faithfully in, in whatever it is that he places you to do. And so we know this, Jesus is praying this. Peter tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion and he's seeking whom he may devour. And so um, there's... Um, there's this idea that, that Satan is coming for us and he's wanting to destroy us. And Jesus is praying for protection from that. And he's praying for boldness from, from that. And he's praying that, he, and, and it is true, that he is the protector. That because we are in Christ, nothing can happen to us. In fact, Romans 8, at the end of that chapter, it just goes through a list. And it says, not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything can separate us from the love of God. So nothing can ever separate us from God's love, and he's praying that we would be protected, that the disciples would be protected and have boldness, be of the world but not, not be in the world but not of the world. And so then Jesus also prays that the Father would sanctify them. So in verse 17 we see this, Jesus praying that his disciples would be sanctified. And so this sanctification is, is a process that involves us and it involves God. It involves God doing a supernatural work for us. And the process of sanctification simply is just getting more and more like Jesus every day until he calls us home. And so the way that we become more and more like Jesus every day is that we know him more and more. And Jesus is praying that his disciples would know him. And so the way that we do that is that we spend time with him, right? When we get to know people, we build that relationship by spending time with him. So on our end, we practice some of the spiritual disciplines. We practice things like prayer. We practice things like reading the scripture. We practice things like corporate worship and fellowship. And so we do these spiritual disciplines that aid us in the process of sanctification. And then God does a supernatural work in our hearts that makes us more and more like Jesus and helps us to fall more and more in love with him. And so the Father does a tremendous work in this and calls us to this process of sanctification. And then the third thing that Jesus prays. So remember we pray, we saw that Jesus prays for the Father to glorify him. Jesus prayed for his disciples. And then here, Jesus prays for those who are yet to believe. If you look at verse 20 through 26, Jesus starts out, he says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. And so that's you and that's me if we're a believer. Because of the word of his disciples and because Jesus' high priestly prayer is answered in regards to his disciples, their word spread and the church was established and the church grew. And generations later, you and I are here because of their word. And so Jesus is praying for us and he's praying that we would have unity. And so I love this passage. We talk a lot um, in ministry and in church about 
evangelism and different ways to grow the church and that sort of thing. And here, Jesus prays something really simple, a really simple plan for the world to know him, for the world out there who isn't part of the church, the world out there who isn't part of the fellowship and the unity and who hasn't yet been redeemed by the blood. Jesus prays this really simple thing. He says, Father, I pray that they would love one another because by that, the world will know you. And I think that is so simple and yet so profound. And I think that that's something that we can come around together as a church family. And as we think about membership covenant month and membership covenant Sunday coming up next Sunday now, we are, are looking at that. We're looking that we would be in covenant with God and in covenant w- with one another, that we would love one another in such a way that the world would look at Redeeming Grace Community Church, community church and they would say, they really love one another. And I, if they really love one another like that, I want to know their God because that's pretty amazing. And so Jesus is establishing his church here. He says that he has made known to them the Father's name and that will, he will continue to make it known. And then he prays, and this is the last verse, 26, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus establishes his church. And so I want to end with a quote, a scripture, and an illustration. So three, three things here to tie all of this together. First, the quote comes from Mark Dever's book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And he talks about, in one of the chapters, church membership. The church membership is one of the marks of a healthy church. And so he says this. He says, all statistics seem to point to our age being an age of commitment phobia. He says commitment phobia is the fear is the fear that in promising to do something good, we will miss out on getting something even better. And so, although we see many good opportunities that we could be doing, we would rather just keep our options open. And so maybe you've experienced this or you know somebody who's experienced this, that they just don't really commit to anything because they want to just keep their options open just in case something better comes along. And so when we talk about committing to a church, a lot of people in our age don't want to commit to a church. A lot of people don't want to commit to membership at a church because when you commit to membership at a church, you're doing a lot of things. You're, one, holding yourself accountable to the pastors and elders and other members of the church. And then, two, you're committing to serve and be a part of that church and be a part of that church family and and you're committing to align yourself with the mission and the doctrines that are part of that church and so a lot of people in our culture just say I'll keep my options open I won't commit to any church I won't say yeah I'm going to be a member of this church and so as you're praying through the membership covenant I would pray through that where does God want me to really dig in and really serve him and where does he want me to be a part of serving him and then one more passage John chapter 6 so if you just turn over to John chapter 6 with me this um this teaching comes or this passage comes after a uh 
a, a large group of disciples had heard a, hurt, a hard teaching from Jesus. And then a lot of his disciples leave. And they go do something else. And then in John chapter 6, verse 66, we see a response from Simon Peter. And I love Peter because he's kind of always the one that like has something to say. He's always the one that will speak up and really say what's on his mind. So verse 66 of John chapter 6. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so when I see that passage, I see something that's true for the church today. There's nowhere else to go because Jesus is the only one with the words of life. And he has established his church. The church is established according to his plan. He laid down his life in order to redeem the church. And you and I are part of the church. And you and I aren't perfect. And you and I aren't always going to get it right. But we serve the perfect one. We serve the one who is holy. We serve the one who has always, before the foundation of the world, gotten it exactly right. We serve the only God who is worthy to worship. And as Peter says, we serve the only God who has the words of life. There's nowhere else we can go. And so I wanted to close with um, this illustration. So this is a crayon box that I took from my daughter's playroom. Don't tell them when they come out of the nursery in there. But um, So the crayon box um, is, is uh, always really... Um, really unique to me or really interesting because when you take out these crayons you notice a few things you notice one that there are all kinds of different colors right like so there's 24 colors no two colors are exactly the same and then you also notice especially when you have small children like I do that some of these crayons are not only different colors, but they're, they have different physical characteristics. Some of these crayons have been used more than other crayons, so they're wore down. And then we have some crayons who are just broken in this box, right? Um, but when we have all of the crayons together, then they <clears throat> make the box complete. Okay, so without all of the crayons in the box... There's, there's not a complete set, and the crayons get loose, and it's easier for other crayons to get lost or for other crayons to get broken. But when we have them all together and they're all unified together in the box, then, then we have a complete set, and they're more secure. And so I think that the crayon box is a lot like what Jesus wants the church to be. I think it's a lot like what he prays in John chapter 17 because when we look at the church, our church and the church universal, we're all different. No two of us have the same story. No two of us have the same background or even the same ethnicity, but Christ died for us that we may be one. In fact, some of us may be more worn down and broken than some others, just like in this box. But Jesus redeemed us broken and worn down and with all of our shame and with all of our imperfections. And he said, I want you to be unified together with the body. I want you to be part of the bride. The bride might be ugly sometimes, but it's his bride that he redeemed. 
And there is such a cool story to me. It's such, a, such an incredible picture that Jesus would see fit to redeem us and that he would make us part of his bride, his most treasured possession, his most, uh, most treasured and sacred thing is his bride. And so we get to be a part of that. And we get to be a, a part of the story, even though we're so different and we have so many different things going on in our lives because of who he is, not because of who we are. And so I want to pray that God would appropriate this in our hearts as we think about membership and serving the church.